This is Impact. I'm Carrie Kaufman. There were a number of headlines that came out of Tuesday night's debate between President Trump and former Vice President Biden. One set of headlines rose above all the others. It was based on this exchange. Proud boys, stand back and stand by. Within minutes, the Proud Boys had a logo made and T-shirts on the press. T-shirts, which Amazon has now banned for sale. We're talking about this message that Trump gave to white supremacist groups, what it might mean for the election, and how to respond with Pete Simi, who is a sociology professor at Chapman University and author of American Swastika, which details his investigation into the world of extremism. And we're also talking to Vegas Tenold, who is an investigative researcher at the Anti-Defamation League's Center on Extremism. He's also a former investigative journalist, writing about the far right. Welcome to the program, guys. Thank you very much. So um, let's start. Uh, I, I Actually, I don't really care who takes this one. You both monitor social media and chat rooms, I'm assuming. What was the response from white supremacists uh, to Trump's remarks? You want to take this, Vegas? There was a live video cast of of uh, of gavin mcinnis the 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 founder of the proud boys and and one of the founders of vice magazine and he did a double take as as trump uh, uttered those words he couldn't believe it and you know immediately social media uh the various the various platforms that these guys inhabit just exploded in, in celebration and it's been like that today too so they're having a they're having a pretty good week uh pete what did you think the only thing i would add to that is that um, we, we should think about these comments not just as a essentially a shout out to the Proud Boys, but really a shout out to, to white supremacists in the larger world of right wing more broadly and very reminiscent, uh, I think we should say, of what happened uh, shortly after Charlottesville uh, and how uh, the far right responded to Trump's comments about fine people on both sides because they were static back then as well. And so we're, we're just kind of seeing it play out uh, in, in a similar respect. Yeah. You know, it seems to me that that could have gone uh, two ways, that they were uh, both Chris Wallace and Joe Biden were pushing Trump to denounce right wing extremism. And uh, and then uh, they were like, yeah, sure. Proud Boys, you denounce them. And in a split second, he could have said they're horrible and white wing extremism is bad and, uh, you know, get out of our space. And instead, he said something that made the, the, the leader of the Proud Boys do a double take and then order T-shirts and make a logo. I mean, they were ready within seconds, it seemed. Uh, so what would have happened had he said something else? Um, I think we've seen the, the, the times that Trump has sort of refused the endorsement. You know, he refused... After hemming and hawing for a while, he refused the endorsement of David Duke back in the day. And he always kind of backtracks um, stuff he said, even about Charlottesville, he, he backtracked after a while. But in, in those cases, the response will be like, oh, yeah, yeah, obviously he had to say that. Obviously, he couldn't come out and support us. But but we, we, we kind of know. So, I mean, I mm. think they would spin it as a positive no matter what. But this was just... Uh, a very much a, a slam dunk that they were extremely happy about. So t- talk to me about what the Proud Boys do, Vegas. The Proud Boys uh, are very difficult to to pin down. They are basically um, 
think of them more as like a sprawling, almost street gang than a, than a political group. They don't really have any clear-cut politics. They are misogynistic. They are anti-Islam. They are transphobic. Um, but in terms of what they stand for, they really just kind of, they're against the left, which is all they are. They kind of exist in this antagonistic relationship with, with the left and who they're constantly trying to goad into, into fights. So in, 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 a, in a very real sense, the Proud Boys kind of exist to start trouble, to fight. They call themselves a drinking club, but in reality, they're more of like a, a, a fighting club almost. And do they go to different places and start fights? Or are they targeting protests? Uh, how are they doing this? Look, they'll, they'll say up and down that they're only defending themselves and they're only standing up for the right of free speech. But there's been several chat logs that have been published that sort of basically say that, you know, even if a protester comes close to you, that's assault and you get to respond with, with overwhelming force. And they do love to go to these liberal bastions or enclaves and just kind of stir up trouble in a very real sense, they're just, they're out to cause trouble and they're out, are out to start fights. And, and that's kind of how they, they're, they're selling themselves. They're almost like a, a modern day brown shirt movement, only their shirts are black and gold. Oh, so they actually do wear shirts that, they actually do wear some sort oh, of uniform. That's interesting. Yeah, they wear uh, Fred Perry t-shirts, uh, the Fred Perry polo shirt, the black and gold one, which is one of my favorite shirts. I've always worn them, but then Proud Boys came and ruined it all. Uh, to the degree that the, the, the brand Fred Perry actually had to make a statement last week saying that we completely oppose everything about the Proud Boys and we won't sell these black and gold models in America anymore because of the Proud Boys. Uh, so now if you are a Proud Boy looking to get outfitted, you need to, uh, you need to cross the Atlantic or have someone send it over for you. That's really interesting. I'm going to look up a picture of that shirt uh, and have it on our website. Uh, the Proud Boys were the group that were were doing the parade in Portland. Am I wrong or right about that? Um, yes, they've had a you know, substantial uh, presence in Portland, including participating in the um, pro-Trump uh, parade that ultimately uh, you know, a fatality resulted. Uh, that later that evening, uh, but certainly been in the the, the mix uh, throughout, you know, this long period of of contention in in the in the city of Portland. So the person who died in Portland was a member of the Proud Boys. The person who uh, died when he was being arrested for that killing uh, was said to be a member of Antifa. Now Vegas said that. You know, Proud Boys are sort of this loose kind of like club. Uh, Antifa has been described as not even really a club, but just kind of a loose idea. And yet people do identify with Antifa. So what is that? Pete? Yeah, definitely Antifa, I would say, is certainly not a single organization, let's be clear. Um, and, and so I think that's important to recognize. But, but there are certainly different chapters that individuals claim at least, um, you know, Atlanta Antifa or various cities across the country where there's some collection of folks that, that claim to represent Antifa. Uh, again, not, not necessarily centralized uh, leadership or anything of that kind. But, you know, uh, essentially uh, they're bound together by the idea of trying to fight uh, fascism, anti 
and um, you know the tactics range uh, pretty pretty broadly uh, among uh, folks who are involved to you know everything from doing things uh, online and, and monitoring groups and doing pretty extensive intelligence gathering and then publishing it in the, in the form of blogs and so forth to essentially out uh, members who are involved in fascist groups, uh, so-called doxing them uh, in some cases uh, in order to try and get them, you know, terminated from their employment or so forth to uh, much more street level activity to showing up at protests and being involved in uh, some of the, you know, contentious, uh, uh, in some cases, violent uh, political activity that we've seen, you know, over the last several months. Uh, in various cities across the country. And so it's that relationship that uh, the Proud Boys define themselves in, in opposition to. Uh, it's interesting so to me that, that, that Antifa stands for anti-fascist, which seems to me like, you know, something we should all be, anti-fascist. So what makes them different from the person on the street who is like, fascism, bad, and, and or are they uh, different? Are they just more activist? I mean, I mean, I would say that there is no difference between the person on the street, because, as you say, we we are potentially and we all should be anti-fascist. We should all be we should all be Antifa. And, and like and to Pete's point, these guys, um, they do a whole range of activity. And, and you know, I would say that the, the majority of the work done by Antifa is sort of community organizing and and bail funds and, and, and community assistance and that kind of thing. And, you know, the, the label of Antifa is something that has been ascribed by, you know, oftentimes far right or conservative forces. And to me, it's, it's interesting that um, it's easier to believe that this nefarious organization with sort of shady funding uh, is behind uh, the, the outrage and protest we're seeing in this country rather than than the result of like a, a of a rage against systemic uh, racism and injustice that's been going on for, for a while. So I think it's interesting that a lot of people just assume that it's an, an evil left wing organization rather than a lot of people who've just had enough and are rightfully angry. Ah, Tifa really has become a boogeyman of sorts for folks um, on the right and especially the far right, it, it, but including certainly our, our president uh, and, and his supporters who use this term really very loosely to essentially represent anyone that essentially opposes uh, the things that they're that, that they're uh, fighting for, you know, the, the you know things like a Muslim ban, uh, um, you know, things like uh, propaganda about black on white crime, um, you know, all 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 of these, uh, you know, this anti-immigrant uh, uh, position, the idea of building a wall and so forth, you know, these these things, anyone who opposes those becomes uh, labeled as essentially. Uh, communist, Antifa, and various other terms that they use to describe um, the, who they see as their opponents. And, and this is a longstanding uh, strategy that uh, folks on the right have used in terms of creating these kind of boogeymans a, as a way to try and um, represent that there's this uh, far left fringe who are un-American that are trying to um, you know, take everything that um, you, you cherish as Americans as patriots and that you have to uh, fight these folks back and, and keep them from essentially destroying our country. So um, we do have instances where far-right extremist groups have 
uh, murdered people. Uh, do we have instances where uh, something like Antifa has murdered anybody outside of the, the incidents in Portland last month? No. Okay. So would you agree? The only fatality in my mind that can be associated with uh, Antifa is the one in Portland. Um, so here's the thing, though, right? The the point of this and the point of of the of right wing messaging has been uh, to uh, confuse people like most people hear it. And if they're not really afraid of Antifa, they certainly lock Antifa and Proud Boys in their minds together. How do you get past that, Pete? It's very difficult, uh, in part because you have, for instance, uh, one uh, cable news network that's completely dedicated to perpetuating this kind of propaganda. Uh, and then you have, you know, scores of, um, you know, media outlets online in terms of, you know, the, uh, the digital landscape where this kind of propaganda is being disseminated. And then, you know, over the last three years, you have a White House that's been... Uh, um, you know, to, to a large extent dedicated to this as well, uh, this narrative. So, you know, it, it's a very difficult thing uh, to get uh, folks' perceptions kind of oriented to threats in a way that's based on facts, that's based on evidence, as opposed to these kind of uh, fear-based perceptions. And I, I can't tell you how many times over the last, you know, five uh, or so years I've been asked, well, why do you focus on far right extremists? Why aren't you focusing on folks like Antifa? You know, so there, there had, and, and I've gotten that response from folks in law enforcement. I've gotten that response, you know, just average uh, folks from the general public. And so th there really has been this um, fear that's been stirred up uh, about this. And I really do think it's an, it's a um, accurate term, this kind of boogeyman that's been created around and so and that's hard to, to correct for and i think also if i'm if i might add um the, the these boogeymen that that pete mentioned i mean a lot of them aren't really interested in being sympathetic they're not interested in being liked uh, the, these groups that are now being called domestic terrorist groups groups like blm and, and groups like antifa um you know, they're not out to be polite or to win hearts and minds all the time. When I covered this as a journalist, you know, we always believe that sunlight is the best disinfectant. Um, whereas a lot of people will say, well, if, it, if that's true, then we wouldn't have any Nazis anymore. We wouldn't have any fascists anymore. And people say, you know, when there are, um, when there are riots after police shootings and, and that sort of thing, People just say, you know, no, 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 we got to make progress at the ballot box. We, this is going to be slow. The, the, the arc of the moral universe bends mm. towards justice. But then you'll have people saying like, no, we've tried this for decades. And look, people are still getting killed. People are still getting incarcerated uh, in, a, in a way higher number than, 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 than white Americans. There's still all this stuff. Honestly, we're done trying to be civil about this. And I'm not saying that that's the right choice, but I'm saying that that, that is a choice that a lot of people have made. So, you know, which kind of makes them easy to be afraid of. No one likes to see violence in the street. And so people who kind of might be sympathetic to their causes are turned off by their methods, which I think these people are also fine with. Interesting. Uh, you do a lot of work. Uh, the, the ADL does a lot of work in the community trying to educate people. What is what is the ADL doing to break through this uh, misunderstanding of of what is going on? 
we have a, a host of, of, of different kind of tactics. I mean, the, the center I work for is just very much sort of on the ground looking, inhabiting the spaces where the extremists are trying to, um, uh, we, we work with media, we work with law enforcement, but ADL as a whole, we have a lot of um, anti-bias initiatives, we have education initiatives, we have policy initiatives. We also have, you know, regional offices all over America that engage with the local community. But, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. It's it's tough. It's very hard to change a person's mind. We've all we've all had these Thanksgiving dinners where there's the racist uncle and huh. you're not going to change that dude's mind, right? And the same thing, Pete touched on it when he talked about messaging from conservative outlets, but also, you know, we inhabit these echo chambers by our own choice. We live in these silos of reality where our whole reality is kind of um, enclosed from others' reality. And it's extremely hard to, to get through to people. So um, I'm not very optimistic about this. I mean, I think everyone has a part to play. I think leaders have a part to play, politicians. I think social media platforms have a not just a part to play, but a massive part of the blame uh, to shoulder. So this is, it's, it's, a, it's a tough one, you know? So I don't really have a good optimistic answer. Um, Pete, I wanna, I wanna switch a little bit to um, the mixed messaging, because uh, this is kind of fascinating to me. Um, the, you know, the ADL has an entire database devoted to white supremacist signals. So talk to me about how white supremacists recognize each other? Oh, it's, um, you know, it's, it's elaborate. Uh, some of it is uh, constantly evolving. Uh, they have a real penchant for numerical symbols, for example, using numbers as kind of secret codes of sorts that goes way back. Uh, you know, some of the more widely known at this point now are things like 88 that uh, stands for Heil Hitler or 14 that stands for the 14 words that uh, um, the convicted terrorist David Lane, who's now dead, uh, he died in prison uh, a number of years ago. He authored this statement the four, that became known as the 14 words uh, that we must secure an existence um, and a few, uh, as existence of our people and a future for um, a white children. Um, so, you know, that became known as the 14. And so people would sign, you know, males 14 or wear t-shirts with 14 or get tattooed with 14 and so forth and so on. So, and, and they, like I say, these are kind of old, uh, older, you know, have been around for quite some time. And then you have, you know, just new terms that just get um, developed in uh, kind of real time, literally. So if you recall uh, the tragic murder of um, the young man in, in Georgia by the father and son, uh, the young man who was jogging, um, mm -hmm. uh, Aubrey, Ahmad Aubrey. After his murder then became fodder for them to start using the term joggers in reference to killing joggers, meaning killing black. You wouldn't even necessarily say killing joggers, but you might just use the term joggers and, and people, you know, in the know would understand what you mean by that. Okay. So, uh, you know, terms like that will be developed. And yeah. Okay. So this is, so this is interesting to me, right? Because I, I if I see a truck with, um, you know, like an iron cross symbol or the red cross, no, the black cross in a red circle. Uh, or if I see somebody doing the okay sign upside down uh, and I point these things out that this is a, a hate sign, someone is going to tell me that I'm seeing things that aren't there. And yet we have 
this entire culture that is built on communicating with each other by seeing things that are really, really tiny and and kind of like underhanded. I, explain to me, Pete, how this how these two things come together. Because a white supremacist who who recognizes other white supremacists by these sorts of signals is going to be the first person to turn around and say, "You're just seeing things. That's not true." Yeah, it's a form of gaslighting, really, if you think about it, right? It's a way, it's, and it offers plausible deniability. You know, so you say, well, at 88, that's just, I like that number. Or, you know, oh, it's just the okay sign. Everybody uses that. You know that means, uh, you know, that that doesn't have any, um, you know, hidden meaning to it. Uh, so, you know, um, and, and this is something they, they kind of enjoy, to be honest with you. It's something they really kind of get a kick out of, the idea of pulling one over on people. And and again, offering them that protection so that the, if they are called out for it, you know, they can can, um, you know, deny and, and provides them uh, that that shield of sorts. And of course, they, this is rampant within the culture as well in terms of joking. Uh, they, they have this whole culture of joking that is, you know, horrific uh, in terms of, you know, making light of things like the Holocaust or, or, or um, lynching. And uh, then once they are called out on it, they can just turn around and say, well, yeah, it was just a joke. You don't have much of a sense of humor, do you? Mm. Uh, so these are the kind they find enjoyment in, in terms of, uh, you know, building a culture around plausible deniability, secret codes, being kind of in this special kind of group of those who are in the know and then those on the outside um, who don't know. And if they do. Uh, gain some some knowledge or awareness about it and are antagonistic, then they, they have the, um, the built-in protections to, to shield themselves. I want to end this by talking about post-election. Uh, both of you, I want to hear from both of you. Uh, if Trump wins, what will happen? If Trump loses, what will happen? Vegas, uh, let's ta- let's start with you. Um, it's it's frightening and it's scary, and I don't think there's uh, much of a of a of a good solution. I mean, um, obviously, if Trump loses by anything other than a landslide, things could get very messy very very quickly. Um, it there there's so much talk of violence. There's rampant vigilantism out there. The stakes are so high. There's so much hatred. There's a complete lack of um, um, respect. People don't see political opposition as, as legitimate anymore. So, you know, if, if we enter some kind of constitutional crisis or if there's any ambiguity around the election result at all, I think things can get uh, really scary really quickly. I mean, look, I'm, I'm from Norway um, and my wife is from Norway. We've certainly talked about, you know, let's have our passports ready if, in case Things get uh, things get hairy. Uh, I, I don't want to speculate what happens um, if he if he if Trump wins. Uh, I don't know. It certainly would probably embolden him and his and his and his followers anymore. But um, I'm uh, again I'm I'm quite pessimistic about uh, these next few months that we're we're heading into. I think it's scary. Pete. Yeah, I share uh, Vegas's pessimism and fear. Um, I see to be quite frank about it, and I hate to say this, but I see e- either, no matter what the outcome is, violence. Um, so if, if Trump is 
you know, elected to a second term, I think you're going to have a huge segment of uh, his uh, supporters that are going to be emboldened in the way that, uh, you know, they were when he was elected. And so we saw the spike in hate crimes, you know, after 2016. We saw the spike, you know, even in school age children, uh, elementary, middle school and high school. We saw a spike in incidents on, on school campuses of kids getting the message that this kind of hate and bigotry that Trump represents is, is OK. So. I think uh, we're going to see that emboldening if he's reelected, and we'll see even a lot worse than that, I think, among some of his supporters. But then we're also going to see folks who oppose Trump who say, you know, second term's just not tenable. Uh, we, we, can't, um, we can't do this. Um, this is truly now we are at a place where it's undeniable that we've fallen into the face of fascism. And, and so there's going to be a certain uh, number of folks who are going to see it that way and feel like, you know, violence is probably now the really the only option. And so I see that playing out if he's uh, reelected and if elected, um, you know, again, a segment of his supporters are, are just not going to view it as, as legitimate and will feel like, um, that uh, there's been a coup of sorts, and um, the only way to respond is through some type of armed um, resistance. And uh, I see potentially after the election is where the violence is really going to be probably most uh, likely to occur if he's not reelected. In terms of the transfer of power, I, I see potentially folks going to D.C., for example, and, and possibly setting up some type of encampment to to protect what some now call King Trump. Uh, there are now T-shirts being sold that uh, Trump is my king. Mm. So this is the, the psychology among some, some of his supporters. I mean, there are a lot of groups and actors out there to whom violence is the whole ballgame. It's the mm. whole thing. And they're kind of looking for any excuse. They're not, they don't really care about, um, you know, ousting President Trump or protecting President Trump. They just want the complete uh, downfall of society. So these groups will take any opportunity and grab it with both hands. So yeah, there will be po political violence, but also just accelerationist violence looking to bring about some kind of end times race war. You take your pick. You just heard Vegas Tenold, who is an investigative researcher at the Anti-Defamation League Center on Extremism. He's in New York, uh, wondering if he should leave uh, and go to his home in Norway. You've also heard from sociology professor Pete Simme. Uh, he's the author of American Swastika, which details his investigation into the world of extremism. It hasn't been an uplifting conversation, but I actually wasn't, wasn't uh, expecting one, so I appreciate it. This is Impact. I'm Carrie Kaufman.